Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey Kerr. It's been about three months since I last gave you all quick movie reviews of some of the films that had already been released in 2020. Today, I'm here to cover seven more that have been released since then. On September 4th, I watched I'm Thinking of Ending Things. In that movie, nothing is as it seems when a woman experiencing misgivings about her boyfriend joins him on a road trip to meet his parents at their remote farm. And despite some long scenes that could have made this movie feel like a stage play, it is able to stay captivating throughout thanks to director Charlie Kaufman's understated yet effective direction, as well as the performances from Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley. This is likely thanks to the film's literature roots, but the way that the story is able to unfold is literally like something you would find in a novel. Not to mention that the movie concludes with such a stunning climatic sequence as well as a very ambiguous ending. So for those interested in watching I'm Thinking of Ending Things, it is available to stream on Netflix. On September 26th, I was able to watch Nomadland through a virtual screening from the New York Film Festival. In that movie, a woman in her 60s embarks on a journey through the American West after losing everything in the Great Recession, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. Now, Nomadland is a movie that's been getting tons of acclaim from critics, though it'll likely be seen as overhyped by casual audiences. It wouldn't surprise me if people feel that was it. Nothing happens by the end of the film. That's not to say I fall exactly into that category, but I can understand why certain people may end up feeling that way. As for my thoughts, director Chloe Zhao approaches the story more as a documentary with Frances McDormand's character serving as the audience surrogate. It is through Fern's eyes that we, the audience, join her on the journey she takes throughout the film. Overall, I found Nomadland to be quite a compelling character study. So for those interested in seeing Nomadland, it is currently playing the festival circuit right now, but it will be given a limited theatrical release on December 4th. On September 30th, I watched The Boys in the Band. The story is set in New York City in the year 1968. At a birthday party, a surprise guest and a drunken gang leave seven gay friends reckoning with unspoken feelings and buried truths. I have never seen nor read the original stage play, nor have I seen the 1970 movie directed by William Friedkin, so this review is based strictly on this new version. The results of film adaptations of theater works that keep the exact same principal cast and director from their stage productions intact can be hit or miss. Sometimes you have a masterwork like Ela Kazan's A Streetcar Named Desire, Though other times, you have something like Susan Stroman's The Producers. Yet, Joe Mantello's The Boys in the Band proves why Hollywood should at least consider taking the same cast and crew from the stage to the screen more often. Joe Mantello, being the accomplished theater director that he is, has managed to come up with quite a few tricks to make this theatrical work come across more cinematically than just a filmed stage play, keeping the audience's attention throughout, which especially shows with how he is able to introduce all the principal characters in the opening sequence, not to mention that that the added flashbacks are also a nice touch. Everyone in the cast gives terrific performances. Each of them show a wide range of emotions from enthusiastic to empathetic. 
The fact that they've all spent about three months doing the play on Broadway really helped them feel at home in their roles in this movie. As a straight man, I was very fascinated by how this movie was able to provide a look at what gay life was like back in the late 1960s. No matter what sexuality you are, I think this new interpretation of the boys in the band is worth seeing, and for those interested in watching, it is available to stream on Netflix. On October 6th, I watched The Glorias. An equal rights crusader, journalist, and activist, Gloria Steinem embodies these and more. From her role in the revolutionary women's rights movement to her travels throughout the U.S. and around the world, Steinem has made an everlasting mark on modern history, a non-traditional chronicle of a trailblazing life. I found The Glorias to be a well-intentioned biopic that kind of feels its two-and-a-half-hour running time. I think this story probably would have been better told as a miniseries instead of a feature film. Though there are some great performances in this movie, especially from Julianne Moore and Alicia Vikander, I also liked the scenes where Gloria Steinem is having internal conversations with her younger selves. Plus, there are some nice visually imaginative sequences, courtesy of director Julie Taymor, that I also appreciated. For those interested in watching The Glorious, it is available to stream on Amazon Prime Video. On October 11th, I was able to watch Uncle Frank through a virtual screening from the Mill Valley Film Festival. The story is set in 1973, where a teenage girl named Beth Bledos leaves her southern hometown to study at New York University, where her beloved Uncle Frank is a revered literature professor. She soon discovers that Frank is gay and living with his longtime partner, Walid Wali Nadim, an arrangement that he has kept secret for years. After the sudden death of Frank's father, Beth's grandfather, Frank is forced to reluctantly return home for the funeral with Beth in tow, and to finally face a long-buried trauma that he has spent his entire adult life running away from. The film is written and directed by Alan Ball, who is the Oscar-winning screenwriter behind American Beauty. And I found Uncle Frank to be such a poignant character study. Paul Bettany gives an incredible performance that allows him to be both charismatic and heartbreaking. After having previously starred in both its movies, I think Sophia Lillis's work here should hopefully lead to a bright future for her career. And Peter MacDissey is also terrific as Frank's partner Wally. Overall, I'm very excited for more people to see Uncle Frank when debuts on Amazon Prime Video on November 26th. In fact, the trailer has also been recently released, which I'll provide a link for in the episode notes. And also keep a lookout for a scene that takes place about 20 minutes or so into the movie, where Paul Bettany is outside at night with a guy named Bernard, played by Alan Campbell, who's an actor I've interviewed last year for the Judson Theatre Company's production of Witness for the Prosecution. On October 14th, I was able to watch The Father through a virtual screening from the Mill Valley Film Festival. In this movie, a man refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages. As he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his family. I remember first hearing about The Father through its original stage play when it was presented on Broadway back in 2016, which won Frank Langella a fourth Tony Award. And so the movie adaptation, which is directed by the playwright Florian Zeller, well, it's definitely not going to be an easy watch for people. However, 
I think it is indeed worth watching for the incredible lead performance from Anthony Hopkins alone. As the memory loss of his character keeps progressing throughout the film, you really never see any acting at all as Hopkins makes everything feel very believable. It's so remarkable how at almost 83 years old, the acting legend can still be able to turn in such a great A performance like that. I think he's definitely going to be hard to beat in a lot of best actor races this upcoming award season. Olivia Coleman is also very good here. Her performance may be understated, but I thought it still managed to come across very effectively. I also loved how the dialogue bounces back and forth a lot, just like a tennis match. Not to mention that the way writer-director Florian Zeller approaches the scenes with Antony, you almost end up feeling as confused as the character himself as the film goes on. Credits must also go to the editor, Yorkos Lamprinos, for pulling off that emotion. The end of this movie left me feeling speechless. For those interested in seeing The Father, it is currently playing the festival circuit right now, but it will be given a theatrical release on December 18th. On October 16th, I was able to watch The Trial of the Chicago 7. It is based on the true story of what happened in the city of Chicago, Illinois in 1968. What was intended to be a peaceful protest at the 1968 Democratic National Convention turned into a violent clash with police and the National Guard. The organizers of the protest, including Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale, were charged with conspiracy to incite a riot, and the trial that followed was one of the most notorious in history. The Trial of the Chicago 7 is the second feature film written and directed by Aaron Sorkin following 2017's Molly's Game, and I found this movie to be quite an intriguing political courtroom drama that is not only entertaining as well, but it also ends on such an inspirational note. The screenplay is sharply written with some great back-and-forth banter between characters, as usual with any Aaron Sorkin script, though as director he is able to keep things going through such strong pacing which editor Alan Baumgarten also deserves credit for, and terrific performances from every member of a terrific ensemble, although the standouts to me were Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Sasha Baron Cohen, Frank Langella, Eddie Redmayne, Mark Rylance, and Alex Sharp. For those interested in watching The Trial of the Chicago 7, it is available to stream on Netflix. So that just about does it for this round of my quick movie reviews. I'll be back with another installment as soon as I've got plenty to talk about. Though if you're interested in keeping track of the films I've been watching, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Jeffrey Care. If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash podcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at CareReviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.